passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the long and winding Royal Road. My name is WH Park. I am the co-host of the uh, monthly Post Perez podcast with John Pollock. And of course, I uh, did uh, previous shows called Thunderstruck and The Cruel Summer looking at the, the career of Jushin Thunder Liger and the G1 Climax. But uh, the long and winding Royal Road is not about New Japan for wrestling. It's, it's, it's about All Japan Pro Wrestling, specifically about the 1990s era of All Japan Pro Wrestling, the era of the Four Pillars of Heaven, uh, my favorite period of professional wrestling of all time, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, some two of the most uh, important figures of that era. And uh, joining me today is my guest uh, Brian Elliott. Brian was the editor of the now-defunct Fighting Spirit magazine. He does uh, podcasting himself as well as writing blogs about professional wrestling and, and other things as well, music and, and football. I took a look at his blog. He'll, he'll plug it uh, during the course of this show. But Brian, how are you today? I'm really good. How are you doing yourself? I'm good. I'm good. It's it's cold here in Toronto. It's it's November. There's snow on the ground. It's it's still dark. We're recording this like my my morning. And uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 dreading like my first full summer back in Toronto because I've been living in Japan for the last nine years and mm-hmm. and came back just recently. So it's it's uh, something I'm bracing myself for actually. Yeah. So are are you lucky to have a, a relatively cold summer then? Less humid, I would imagine. It'll the the summer will be will be fine for me, you know. <laughs> like I'm, I'm one thing I'm not gonna miss honestly is the humidity of Japan, especially in the month of August. Mm-hmm. It's just unbelievably brutal. Um, I always feel it's like easier to keep warm than it is to try to <laughs> yeah. you know get become cold, cool during the summer because you can always put more clothes on. There's only so many clothes you can take off. Sure. How's the weather? Uh, you're in Ireland, correct? Yeah, yeah, Northern Ireland. So uh, uh, another one of the Irish connection, uh, like Alan Forel and, and guys like this who uh, seem to have permeated the wrestling scene. So uh, yeah, it's we get about uh, two weeks in about May time where it's really nice and summery, something that you'd really call a summer. But yeah, it lasts for two weeks and then it goes back to being dry at best and then gets cold again so we're get, we're starting to get into the cool period now okay well you know at some point i'm gonna have to come visit your your neck of the woods i have like uh you know our friend uh alan farrell uh jamesy and uh, oh, JP, yeah. well jp's in, in in england but you know like he considers himself irish i don't know like <laughs> what actual irish people think about jp but uh, it seems like they 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 accept him as one of their own as well he's a decent enough guy he's he's allowed to join 
he's a lot of joy. That's good. Um, so, Brian, let's talk about you. Uh, give the listeners a bit of a background about yourself, maybe about the start of your fandom for wrestling in general, um, how you started becoming like a, a podcaster and, and writer, as well as an editor for professional wrestling, as well as like maybe your your specific fandom for all Japan of this era. Wow, where to start? Okay, well, in terms of actually being a fan, that's that's really simple. The first uh, American wrestling boom period in the UK was in around 1990, 91. So it was the same kind of fandom that people would live, or kids would later have for like Teenage Turtles or Pokemon or things like that. It was just the fad. Everyone in, in school was into it when I was 10 years old. So uh, video tapes, WWF tapes got passed around. People were talking about the uh, WCW that we'd have on TV at Strange Hours of the Day and Night. And, uh, but after sort of SummerSlam 92, SummerSlam 92, of course, people think of as the peak and it really was, but things went down after SummerSlam 92 in terms of fandom very, very fast. By Survivor Series 1992, there was nobody talking about this in the classroom. Uh, so, uh, I kind of stayed on with, with pro wrestling and, uh, just, build up my fandom, I guess, just kept finding more wrestling that I loved. That that certainly was the case with all Japan Pro Wrestling. Um one of the predecessors to Fighting Spirit magazine, uh, you may well know was Parslam magazine, uh edited by Finley Martin. That ran in the well it, it sort of started in like the early nineties. I think nineteen ninety two was their first issue. And um it did a lot of stuff for Japanese wrestling. If you were really into the scene in pro wrestling and learning a little bit about pro wrestling, that was the magazine to buy on the shelves in the early 90s. And they had a deal with, I think it was Weekly Pro Wrestling. Um, so you would occasionally get photographs from Weekly Pro in Parslam magazine. So you would occasionally see Mizawa or Kawada or Tawe or any of these guys. And uh, you'd there would be news from the title changes or a big match and uh, the, the the text would talk about how great these matches were in very much an observer kind of style. And uh, anybody who was reading that had to be thinking, I've got to see these matches. And conveniently, at the end of the magazine in the letters page, there was uh, details of tape traders who had these matches. So I was just another one of those people who was a big wrestling fan, kept it going. And in the early 90s, when I was barely a teenager, we're starting to get tapes from traders who had got stuff from Japan. So I was seeing my first Mizawa and Kawada matches by the time I was 13. That's incredible. I wasn't uh, really getting into the uh, the scene of all Japan for wrestling until like, you know, like when I started like university. So like I'm in like my, my early 20s and stuff like that. So at the age of 13 is uh, I'm quite envious of you there, Brian. But to your point about Power Slam magazine, like when I started reading that, we, we, were, we were able to get um, Power Slam in Toronto at like various news agents and things. Um, I, I was really happy discovering this magazine and reading about the Japanese coverage, both with like, you know, New Japan and All Japan at the time, because I thought one thing that I thought Finn Martin did really well was like write about it. And the other writer that at Power Slam was right about it in such a way that it was um, inclusive to new readers, people mm-hmm. who weren't familiar with the scene. Like if you were already familiar with the names, great. You, you could just jump right into these articles or these news bits. But if you weren't super familiar with it, there, the way these articles were written about, you know, all Japan for wrestling and all new Japan for wrestling was that, Oh, I can, I can learn about this mm-hmm. as well. It's very easily like it's kind of, 
um, kind of the opposite, I feel, of like, you know, the Wrestling Observer, where where it's like there is kind of this idea that you already know a lot about this stuff that the stuff that Dave Meltzer writes about, which, you know, I, you know, I can get into the Observer when I started you know, subscribing to it myself. But I always felt like Power Sun was just a little bit more easier to get into for the layman or the, 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 the neophyte to Japanese professional wrestling. Yeah, and of course it had to be that way. Um, they did a really good job of sort of distilling all of the news and what you could expect to see in those articles. If I if I turn around and say that, that it, it was quite simple writing, it sounds like I'm having a dig at the quality of writing, but I'm not. As you said, it that brought a lot of people in, including myself, to try and under try and understand the differences between American wrestling and Japanese wrestling, or even British wrestling. And uh, yeah, that was my gateway to it. I don't know when I would have found. Japanese wrestling had it not been for Parslam magazine, probably uh, around sort of the early internet time, which for me would have been 97, I did. Would you say you gravitated more towards like All Japan versus New Japan? All Japan. I did love both, um, but very clearly All Japan. Um, to me, the differences in King's Road and Strong Style, King's Road has far more of an ebb and flow. I like the pacing a lot better. Uh, in New Japan matches, um, one of the things that people often like about New Japan matches is that sometimes the tide can turn quite abruptly, um, you know, with one strike or uh, there's almost sort of a martial arts element to some of, the, especially the earlier matches from the 80s and, and, the, and maybe the early 90s. But to me, All Japan always had a really good ebb and flow. Pacing was always perfect. And uh, yeah, I guess that's what appealed to me more than anything. I think it, on this kind of tangent about the difference between strong style and uh, King's Road or Royal Road style is that, you know, if you look at the origins, like strong style is, you know, you know, steeped in like, you know, the, the philosophy of Antonio Inoki, the founder of New Japan for Wrestling. And he's very, very much into the whole idea of like martial arts of mm -hmm. like, you know, um, being like using a lot of like, you know, submissions and think like this high idea that, you know, the, the tide can turn suddenly. Yes. Whereas the, 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 the basis of, of, of King's Road is really like, you know, American pro wrestling because mm -hmm. like, you know, not only was Giant Baba the creator of it, but, you know, he started All Japan with the help of, for example, Terry and Dory Funk Jr. And they are obviously, you know, very, very much American pro wrestlers. And I think that's something that Baba always thought was really uh good about like you know american professional wrestling was like it's like this struggle between two two competitors and that you, you there's an ebb and flow there's like you know american wrestling is very steeped in storytelling yeah and there's uh there's a beauty to the sort of mixed martial or sorry uh, the martial arts side of it where you can kind of get a quick knockout or a strike one like one kick from hashimoto for example can mean so much uh, but uh, yeah, you're, what you're doing on King's Road in the King's Road style is taking people on an emo uh, emotional journey, ups and downs, um, peaks and valleys, and uh, you know, uh, leading to the conclusion. And, and yeah, it's it's kind of hard to describe. Maybe if you were watching along, you could you could describe it a little bit better as people saw what was going on. But uh, yeah, that, that's what it is to me. It's it's the emotional roller coaster uh, of of the matches that go sort of up and down. You can kind of see them form as they go along. And how about you as uh, we, you know, before we get into the match, let's talk about your career as an editor. How did you get involved with like becoming an editor for Fighting Spirit magazine and, and like just making all these connections and, and as well as a podcaster in your own right? 
Uh, well, I am a newspaper person by trade, so I started in the Belfast Telegraph newspaper, which is Northern Ireland's national newspaper pretty much. Um, so yeah, I was in there for, for several years, just working in the sports desk. And so it was good grinding for me. That was my education there. Just, I learned everything in there. I'm not actually a trained journalist. I don't have a, a journalism qualification per se. Everything was done, uh, on the ground in the actual building, you know, putting the newspaper out on deadlines. So I, I guess you could say I learned the hard way, but definitely the good way as well. So I did that for around five years or so. And then I got the opportunity to become the editor of Fighting Spirit magazine. I had uh, written some columns and done some interviews and things for them. And uh, the uh, uh, the outgoing editor, Martin Mathers, uh, I had a conversation with him about uh, about taking up the role. And he certainly had my back when it came to that. And uh, it was a pretty simple process then for me to take over um, the editing of that magazine. It was very much like doing a newspaper, except instead of having two deadlines every day, he only had one every month. So that was really nice to so that, that yeah, I'm sure that's a, a lot easier to yeah. to manage. And uh, in Fighting Spirit magazine, you know, obviously you're you're covering you know American wrestling because that's you know that's what's going to sell um, you know copies on the newsstand. But also like you you did cover a lot of Japanese wrestling in there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my goal with Fighting Spirit was always to increase everybody's fandom, let people know where good wrestling exists. Uh, and let them know more about the wrestling that they already enjoy to g gain a greater understanding of it. So we had, uh, you know, great columns from guys like Jim Cornette. For a while, we had St uh, Steve Austin doing a column, which was quite remarkable in hindsight. Um, but we also had great writers who were able to explain all of the stuff that was going on in the world of wrestling, look back to the past to show how uh, things were done back then, tell the great stories of the time. So, uh, yeah, I felt very privileged uh, so I worked on that between 2010 and 2019. And, uh, you know, it's been a year since, since we finished up with Fighting Spirit magazine. And, you know, it takes toll, uh, toll on you doing, uh, being the editor and working long hours and what, just watching tons of stuff constantly and thinking about wrestling 24 seven. But, uh, you know, a year or so after I finished, I kind of feel like, uh, I wish it was still there. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I think there's. But it did take me a year to recover. Well, that's good. As long as you're recovering, <laughs> I, mean, I, I do think there's a there's a void in you know losing a publication like Fighting Spirit magazine, and who knows, maybe in the future something will will take its place. Maybe you'll be involved with that. But but let's could, get to. I got a couple uh, of different ideas. Maybe we'll talk about them at the end. Oh, that sounds amazing. Uh, let's talk about though today's match, Brian. Let's talk about the match you picked, and what what is that match? That match is Toshiaki Kawada against Akira Tawe. That is the uh, champion carnival match from April 12th, 1993. That is correct. And um, a bit of a background on this. I'm going to let you uh, extrapolate more in the background. But a quick background is that, you know, before this match, you know, for the last two years, Kawada and Tawe had been kind of feuding with each other because they were on opposite ends of a war between two different groups. One is the Super Generation Army, consisting of Kawada, Mitsuhara Masawa, Kenda Kabashi, and Siyoshi Kikuchi. On the other hand, we have Akira Tawe, who's the second member, the, the second man in the uh, in the, 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 the unit called Saruta Gun, which is led, of course, by Jumbo Saruta. And, you know, it also had Tawe, it also had uh, Masafuchi, and it later would, you know, include uh, Yoshinari Ogawa, young Yoshinari guy, which if you see him now, like he's still wrestling mm -hmm. in 2020. But if you see if you see like 
you know, Ogawa now and Ogawa then. It's, you know, you can see, like, he, does, he hasn't aged that badly, to be honest with you. Uh, he looks pretty good. He's still an amazing wrestler, to be honest, as well. Um, but, you know, like, these two, whenever they would have these multi-man uh, tag matches with, like, Super Generation Army, Saruta Gun, a lot of the times when Kawada and Tawei would get in the ring, they would just, like, raise the intensity of these of these tag matches where they're just like beating the shit out of each other. They would fight on the outside. Sometimes weapons would get involved. Sometimes people would, you know, Tawei or Kawada would start bleeding. Usually it'd be Tawei. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they would, and they would have a lot of like, uh, you know, they would in, get involved in singles matches and get in, with each other as well. And these were very, very intense. But uh, at the time of this match, like Jumbo has pretty much wrapped up due to illness. And, and like, so it's like, you know, the idea is that, you know, like we need a new rival for Masawa. And this this match kind of lays the groundwork for the creation of that new rival for Masawa because Kawada at this point is still a member of Super, Super Generation Army. He's seconded by Kikuchi on the outside during this match. But soon things will, will change after the course of this match. But what else can you tell us about kind of the background between Kawada and Tawei here, Brian? Oh, you did a pretty good job there. Um, at, at one point, though, Tawei was uh, a babyface himself. I don't know if he possibly was not an official member of Super Generation Army. Perhaps you know. Well, he he was a he was around. With yes, it. he was around them for sure. But because, uh, like you know, the when Masao wins that you know that match, that pivotal match against Jumbo Saruta, it's mm-hmm. it's him being hoisted on the shoulders of Kawada and Kobashi. But there's Tawei in the background. Yeah. But soon after that, you know, Ka- you know, Tawei jumps ship. I think right. that's where a lot of the that you know quote unquote hatred of like the Super Generation towards Tawei uh, exists because they felt he betrayed them mm-hmm. to join Jumbo. But like in, in previous episodes of this, of this series, like I talked about like, well, why wouldn't you, if you're Tawei, you're the number four guy. It's obviously going to be Masawa's number one. Kawada's number two. Kobashi is number three. And Tawei's number four. And unfortunately that leaves Kikuchi as number five. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you get a chance, like, you know, like in kayfabe terms, obviously you get a chance to see, like Jumbo says, Hey, I want you to be my regular tag partner. Holy shit. I'm going to be, instead of the number four guy in this group of my, you know, generational peers, I'm going to be the number two guy, the regular tag team partner of the ace of this company, Jumbo Suda, the legendary Jumbo Suda, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. I'm, if I'm Tawai, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to yeah. take that because I'm going to be the number two instead of the number four guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's logical. I, I, and there's physical comparisons between Jumbo and Tawai as well, just their, their sort of size. And you could see, if again, in sort of uh, kayfabe terms, if you will, you could see how uh, Saruta might uh, tell Tawai that he is uh, you know, going to mentor him, how, they, how he could have a similar career. You know, I'm sort of extrapolating that. Uh, uh, that when it, when it may not be the case, but you can see that. So yeah, that that, that switch of Tawei to uh, Surugun occurred in in 1990, um, and uh, yeah, this match uh, that we're going to talk about Kawada and Tawei three years later in 1993. But you know, not at this similar thing happens when Kawada jumps ship to the other side. They, as you said, they had had uh, you know um, they had lit up these sort of six man matches and occasional tag team matches. Um, throughout the, the throughout that period, there's one particularly uh, great singles match that I can recall in January '91. It's a it's a bloody brawl that's won by Kawada, but uh, so it takes does take a couple of years for for it to get round to this. But uh, yeah, eventually Kawada does sort of jump to the other side, and 
history has kind of changed for all Japan from this point in because it results in the formation of the Holy Demon Army, Kawada and Tawe as a tag team. And that just sets up so many great matches throughout the rest of the decade. Well, I mean, we'll talk more about, uh, you know, the Holy Demon Army as uh, maybe as they uh, close off the, the podcast after we talk about the match itself. But one thing I want to make a point of, like, you you kind of extrapolate, you, you kind of, like, touched upon this, was that, like, you know, Tawe was the, the you know, was kind of like the disciple of, of um, Jumbo Saruta, which is funny because, like, it seems like, you know, Kawada's two greatest rivalries in the history of his, uh, you know, the 90s All Japan era was against Masawa, who was also, you know, kind of like, you know, mentored by Jumbo Saruta. And then uh, with Tawe during the 90 to 92 period, um, who, you know, because like the interesting thing about Kawada is that he was mentored by Jinichiro Tenru, who was mm-hmm. the rival, of course, of, of uh, Jumbo Saruta before he left All Japan to, to join SWS and form WAR later on. What's interesting is that like Kawada's like this guy who just keeps having these kind of intense rivalries with, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the kind of the guys who were mentored by Jumbo Saruta. Yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, there's that, that, that the famous uh, tag team match from, is it uh, Tag League 88? And it's uh, Kawada teaming with Tenru. Um, is that against Yatsu and uh, Jumbo? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a really famous, like five star classic match, a really great storyline throughout the match. So yeah, um, uh, I guess in the sort of, in, in stylistic terms, Kawada is closer to Tenru than he is to, to Jumbo. So you can see it in that regard. Um, but, um, there's, there's all different kinds of, of sort of personalities going on across all these super generation army and Sarutagun and, and wrestling styles too. And it just all comes together in one wonderful package. Well, I mean, you, you mean like visually, Kawada is you know adopting the colors of sure. Tenru, the black, the black and the yellow, whereas <laughs> like no, no one really adopts the colors of Jumbo, which is just plain old you know black <laughs> trunks and black boots and black knee pads and, and the black elbow pad. Um, you know, like the the thing about like also Tawe is like you say there's physical similarity between him and Jumbo. I I actually think there's a lot of physical similarity between him and Giant Baba, and yeah. you know. In my head canon, I always thought, oh, the reason this guy gets pushed, because when I started watching All Japan, I was not a, really a fan of Akira Tawe. I've, I've grown to appreciate him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's an amazing worker. But I was like, this guy must be getting a push because Baba sees himself in <laughs> yeah. Tawe because he's kind of gangly looking. He's right. tall. He's kind of awkward. Kind of hunched over. Himself. Yeah. So this is why. It's like, oh, he looks at, at as Tawe as like, you know, his successor physically and like, the way he wrestles. And so that's, but obviously it's because Tawe was actually a really great wrestler mm-hmm. in his own right. Not in the classic sense of like, you know, you can see why Misawa, Kobashi, Kawada are, are pushed because they're great wrestlers in a more traditional sense. Whereas Tawe's great in more kind of like an, um, a kind of a, you know, awkward sense. And, yeah. I'll, and I'll probably use that word a lot. <laughs> yeah. talking about Tawe's offense here. It's really easy to write uh, Tawe off. Like that, whenever you, when you first see him, he's so awkward looking. He's got a very strange gait. Um, he looks nothing like an, an athlete, quite frankly. Um, but then you look at the matches. If you investigate them, he's been involved in some of the greatest matches in all Japan history. One match that, um, rarely is talked about, but is one of my personal favorites is, uh, I think it's April 95 against Mizawa. Might even be a carnival final. And, uh, it's just a classic match, a five star match if ever there was one. 
Oh, yeah, there's if you really explore Akira Tawe's career, like multiple tag matches, his tag team with Jumbo Suruda, his tag team with Kawada, and then, you know, tons of singles matches against tons of people, Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, you know, Stan Hansen, Steve Williams, all of them, all the, you know, the, the, the familiar names you would you would associate with all Japan of this era. But but let's get to this match, Kawada versus Tawai, April 12th, 1993, from the Champions Carnival. Now, there are two versions of this that we found on YouTube. One is a, a clipped official version of this match, but uh, I also came across a full version of this match that's a handheld version of, of this match that was uh, shot by a fan it's it's not a bad version i i would recommend i would recommend people watch both oh, yeah. i watched the the uh the handheld version first and then i you know kind of filled in like you know the the rest of the match with like the clip version which comes in about i'd say like you know 15 20 minutes uh you know in the remaining 15 20 minutes of the match mm-hmm. and and what's good about watching both is that, you know, like you can hear kind of like the, you know, like the, the mic ring. You can hear the 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 sounds of like the, the strikings a little bit uh, better. That's not to say like, you know, Kawada chops Tawe throughout the course <laughs> of this match really hard. Like even the handheld version, like they're it's really fucking loud, Brad. Yeah. And, and Tawe, when you when you look at his face. Uh, on his chest after taking those he's just incredulous that somebody could even dare to hit him so hard he can't believe he's been hit so hard so yeah it's a really great visual the cool thing about the handheld as well is I believe it's shot from the opposite side to the hard cam so you get like a slightly different perspective of things that are going on and also if you look on the handheld you'll see uh, in, in one of the front rows of the crowd uh, is Baba himself doing commentary so you get to see his expressions as the match goes on well I'm I'm uh I'm always worried, like, at some point, you know, Giant Baba's going to notice his fan with, like, you know, a 1990s camcorder <laughs> yeah. re- illegally recording the show. Maybe he's going to he's gonna call the security to, to kick this fan out. But thankfully, that does not happen. And, and we, are, uh, we are reaping the benefits of this uh, nefarious, uh, you know, this nefarious fan re- illegally recording this <laughs> and, and uploading it to YouTube. But I, th- um, I, think, I think on the same night, it's um, Kobashi against Mizawa. And um, that uh, that all, uh, also survives from that handheld tape. So thank goodness that uh, that person was recording and that Baba couldn't get to him in time. That's good. It, it, I don't know. Like at some point, maybe we uh, maybe Baba sees this is, is showing <laughs> up on uh, on all the uh, tape traders list, and he's like, I gotta you know step up security for uh, camcorders and things like that. Now, like nowadays, Brian, you can just like wear you know, specialized glasses and record everything <laughs> through Google Lens or, or something like that. I don't know. But uh, let's talk about the match. Uh, Tawe comes out first and he gets cheers from fans. And then Kawada is out next. And I, I felt he gets noticeably uh, louder cheers from the fans. Like people are calling his name. Obviously, the more popular wrestler in this contest is Kawada. Yeah, I think that that, that that's quite correct. And of course, that, that would be natural. Um, you know, he is sort of, he is in the, the baby face super generation army and there's, there's no question as to that being the case. There's no question, in fact, of anything sort of strange happening. There doesn't appear to be any, just from watching the video, maybe the commentary says something different, but there doesn't appear to be any sort of subtext to Kawada, you know, thinking about becoming a heel or anything as, 
as uh, simple as that. You know, you're, what you're thinking of as these two guys are coming to the ring is they're going to have an, uh, another singles match. This is a feud that's been going on for a long time. Someone wants to progress in the champion carnival and you just wonder who it's going to be. Right. And, and uh, you know, as the match starts, I, I felt it was like a pretty sedate beginning considering, you know, like the history between these two that we talked about. Um, they're kind of just feeling each other out. Um, Kawada does start to amp up the intensity as he has Tawai against the ropes and, and it this and unleashes like what we talked about, these really stiff chops on him. He he then shoots him into the ropes and hits a beautiful spinning heel kick that sends Tawei to the floor. Um Tawei is able to reverse his fortunes by whipping Kawada into the guardrails and he gets back into the ring. As Kawada tries to get back into the ring himself, Tawei knocks him off the apron with a drop kick and then follows up with a tope suicida. And <laughs> and this goes towards this idea like, you know, Tawei is gangly looking. He has a strange gait, but my God, this man is is amazingly athletic and agile for for you know the way he looks. Yeah, it's the strangest thing. He he pulls these things out of uh, out of his hat occasionally, and yeah, they don't look super smooth. It's not like uh, Kabashi hitting a beautiful plancha or anything like that, uh, or Mizawa. Um, but, uh, you know, he somehow manages to get himself through the ropes. And I tell you what, I would not want that guy landing on top of me, especially if he is gangly. You never know where that elbow is going to hit. <laughs> He's a pretty tall man, you know, like, especially for a Japanese wrestler. Like, you know, usually you're not, you don't get people that tall in mm-hmm. Japan, but, you know, he's, he's kind of an exception to the rule. But, um, you the, know, both the, men the, are back. the less smooth that he is, the more likely he's going to crack you with an elbow or a knee, you know, whether it's on purpose or not. I would imagine it's it's not on purpose from, from <laughs> Tawei. But uh, both men get back in the ring and Tawei throws Kawada throat first onto the top rope. So he's also amping up the intensity of the match. Uh, Tawei puts Kawada into a very odd-looking chin lock that elicits some light laughter from the fans uh, on this handheld version. I don't know if you noticed that, Brian. I have to say I didn't, uh, but um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Sometimes uh, Tawei's... Uh, holds or his strikes uh, didn't inspire as much fear as perhaps you might think, but uh, he gets away with it. Well, he he then follows up and applies a, a rather weak-looking sleeper hold with uh, you know so much air in it that you could fly a Anatov An two two five airplane <laughs> through it, like and a John Cena special. Yes, it's it's really like it's really light, and then again, the, you know, the fans are kind of like chuckling. At this, I felt it sounded that's what it sounded like. Um, from here, they get into a kicking exchange, but you know, obviously, you know, Kawada is going to get the better of that, and then he uh, gets the better of Tawei with a beautiful backdrop driver, um, not a head dropping version, thank God. Uh, that's uh, something we talked about in uh, the, the last episode with uh, David Portman with uh, Kawada. Uh, so sorry, Kenny Kobashi and Steve Williams in that oh. match. Um, uh, Kawada starts in on the kick straight to Tawei's forehead, the the, the, the infamous signature uh, Kawada kicks, and then walls him with a stiff kick to the back. And this this was loud, Brian. On this handheld version, this is loud. Yeah, I mean, Kawada, you know, he, he, I'm, I'm sure he's got the kick pads and everything on like that, but this was like a trademark Kawada. You would just see him wind up with what we would now call soccer kicks, you know, the old, the old pride soccer kicks. He just doesn't seem to have any scruples about kicking you as hard in the back or in the legs as as he wants to which is kind of the appeal of Kawada because you really do feel like he's winding up and giving everything into those strikes well I mean that's 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 what's true for all of them though isn't it you know they 
they just would lay it in. That's the style of all Japan. And this is it's the same can be said of Misawa with his striking and, and Kobashi's, you know, lariats and chops and that, Tawe's like kicks that, to the that's face true. as well. But there is something even more visceral about just watching Kawada just wind up the, the the leg go all the way back and just kick somebody. Like if you want to be, you want to be kicked somewhere, you know, you don't want to be kicked as hard as possible in the back. I'm sure he's, you know, doing it in some kind of safe working way, but um, none of those people you mentioned, you know, kicks people like uh, like Kawada does. Well, I mean, like you know, I don't know. W- would you say who kicks really more more stiffly? Is it is it Kawada or Shinya Hashimoto? Hmm. Hashimoto likes stuff to the, likes to kick to, uh, higher up towards the chest um, and into the ribs more. Kawada's a lot. He kicks in the legs and he kicks in the back a lot if he's got his opponent down. Uh, so I wouldn't like to take either of them. I probably, if you put a gun to my head, I'd uh, I'd take Kawada's over Hashimoto's. I take it. Yeah. First. I take it. I take it first. I should say Hashimoto. He's I don't know. Just as likely to kick you in the chin. I think. <laughs> I think with Hashimoto, he. I think he actually enjoys kicking people really <laughs> yeah. hard. Yes. Whereas I think Kawada just does it. It's know? a. It's a bigger part of Hashimoto's offense to do that. I I do remember uh, reading. I remember, do you remember when Rico Constantino in the two thousands went to to All Japan for wrestling, and then after his tour with All Japan. He he would just complain that they, you know like I think he was referring to Kawada that they, they were trying to shoot on him and they're trying to kill him and it's just like dude that's just how they wrestle and then how he was like like he protected himself because he's an actual shooter and I <laughs> at that point I just I just lost it and started laughing at at this you know this interview I'm reading with him about his time in all Japan it's really funny but like I think if if you're not used to it if you're not trained in in working a stiff style like you know going to Japan especially working any of those guys, especially Kawada or, or Stan Hansen would not be yeah. a pleasant experience for you. You would, and you would probably be quite shocked about, my God, this is not professional wrestling. This is like, this is a real fight. Yeah. There's a similar story that, uh, the rock and roll express tell about, uh, going to Japan. I wonder, was it 86 ish and, uh, actually wrestling Kawada and Samson Fuyuki. And, um, I think the first match they had, it may not, it may not have been televised, but anyway, the first match that they had, um, Kawada and Fuyuki were maybe not quite shooting on them, but uh, you know these were Americans coming in, and maybe they're trying to make themselves look better than uh, than us, and we don't want that to happen. And so there was almost a brawl backstage after their first match, and you know as Ricky Morton was saying, you know you. Robert Gibson is a decent sized guy, especially for people in Japan, perhaps. And, uh, you know, you don't want to see him too fired up. You don't want to see Hoot fired up, he says. So, um, uh, yeah, that, uh, that's kind of a similar story. And in fact, I just heard Jim Cornette recently talk about, um, the Fantastics, the new Fantastics, uh, being on, uh, an all Japan tour and coming back and stiffing people. I think it was Tracy Smothers, actually, stiffing people whenever uh, they came back to Smoky Mountain. Oh really? Okay. Like I didn't. I I do know Tracy Smothers worked Japan. I didn't know he worked in in all Japan at the time. I do know like oh, yeah. like the original the original Fantastics. You know, uh, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers. They they did really well in all Japan. Like so, they had no problem working a stiff style. But I mean, they 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 started off in like world class and like with you know Bill Watson mid south. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're they're used to like <laughs> you know the, the stiff style because like a lot of the UWF guys you know from Bill Watts like. They had no problem working, you know, all Japan. Gordy, Hanson, DiBiase. Like, I would imagine, like, if he didn't go to the WBF, like, 
you know, Jim Duggan would have probably gone to All Japan. Mm-hmm. He probably would have done very well as well. But but getting back to this match, uh, Kawada then follows up with a senton drop, and this leads into a figure four head scissors on Taiwei. Uh, Kawada is then put into a single leg crab, and he he you know creatively escapes this the single leg crab from from Taiwei by by kicking Taiwei in the face like backwards <laughs> with his free leg. I, I don't know if you caught this, Brian, but I, I was like, you know, Kawada is actually also very limber for yeah. a man of his size. Yeah, um, as, as as all these guys were, I could, I could tell you a story about something that happened locally. I think it was the 2007 um, European navigation for NOAA when Mizawa came over and, and did that terrain. They probably did a date in Germany as well, I think. And... Uh, the um they were going to uh, just I think it was the, the day of the show and they were going to a local wrestling training school in Manchester the Future Shock Academy and uh, they were just going to apparently show some of the wrestlers uh you know some just go over some little moves maybe they would do something in the ring maybe they would just do some stretching what have you but uh Mizawa got there and uh, he looked at uh, the guys who were there and he said these guys aren't flexible enough and refused to coach them Sounds very, uh, sounds very Misawa like. Yes. Uh, from uh, from here, uh, Kawada and uh, Tawe take turns sending one another over the top rope. Uh, Kawada, Kawada does so with a very risky looking backdrop. He's you know he just elevates, mm-hmm. he just shoots Tawe into the air, you know, sending him to the floor. Uh, he follows Tawe out to the floor to give him a power bomb, but you know Tawe says fuck that shit and hits Kawada with his Nodoa Otoshi choke slam on the floor instead, and and the crowd just just. You know they're 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 really getting into this match throughout throughout the you know the course of it. But at this point, like the the kind of excitement from the crowd and the, the energy is like just getting up because you know Nodoa Otoshi is like one of Taiwei's signature moves. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's one of his killer moves. And so to get you know to for him to hit it on Kawada on the floor, it's like it, it really pops the crowd at this point. Yeah, it's one of those moves with Tawei that uh, people know to react to as soon as he grabs it. And, you know, he would do variations later on where um, he'd have his opponent on the apron and threaten to drop them onto the uh, onto the floor at ringside. Um, so, yeah, doing that move, that would definitely get the definitely get the crowd up. It certainly did here. And, yeah, on the floor as well. That I mean, that's a potential match ender, and especially in something like the carnival, where you might just get a count out. Yeah, I think, you know... You know, things things like that in the '80s, it might have happened. But you know, at this point in time, like you know, Baba doesn't want to have any like, you know, like fuck finishes. He doesn't want countouts or DQ. So you, you kind of know at this point, like he's trained the audience to know, like, oh, it's gonna finish in the ring. But definitely, like, it, it, it you know, like you, you think Kawada is definitely in danger. Yeah, there's the- definitely there's definitely peril there. I know I know what you're saying, and there there were so few fuck finishes as you, as you called them in nineties all Japan. But I think that's that that's such a big move in Taiwei's arsenal that I do think still the possibility is still there. Definitely, definitely. Um, Taiwei, you know, continues uh, his offense. He shows off his actually uh, rather impressive strength. By holding Kawada in the air for several seconds before slamming him down with like kind of a standing version of the Falcon's arrow, and then uh, he grabs Tawei. Uh, he uh, Tawei grabs Kawada by his wrist. He gets wrist control. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is a, a phrase we we would we would use until no. like Kazuchika Okada, but you know Tawei grabs wrist control of uh, uh, Kawada and then starts hitting with a couple of short range clotheslines, very very similar to the Rainmaker. So maybe you know Kazuchika Okada watched <laughs> this match and was like, ah. Oh, I've got the idea for my finisher. 
you know, many, 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 many years later. Uh, he gets uh, he hits two short range clotheslines and he gets a pair of two counts on each of them. Um, Kawada avoids a power bomb by backdropping Tawei, mm-hmm. and then he follows up with some kicks and a brain buster. Uh, one of his signature moves, but only gets a two count on Tawei. And uh, things are just ramping up. We're now getting into like kind of like these two count sequences, Brian. Yeah, you know, from the start, they sort of built it up with with like, like a subtle, believable kind of back and forth. And, you know, once we start getting into the TV version that we mentioned, I guess like 14 minutes in or something, this is when they begin to start to bust out the big moves. And, you know, both guys are going for, uh, for, for power bombs and trying to trying to accomplish that. So, yeah, this is where the big moves come. This is where, you know, the near falls are going to come. Uh, from here, Kawada hits a DDT on Tawei to the floor, and uh, but quickly he gets you know Tawei back into the ring. He doesn't want to win this by countout. He wants to just try to decisively uh, beat him, uh, and I think that's kind of one of the stories of this match is that these two want to decisively try to get a win over the other, and of course advance in the champions carnival. But I think you know like they're having their their macro story as a carnival, and their micro story is like their their own rivalry. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the, the juxtaposition between this match and their previous matches, uh, this match, when you think of it, uh, especially in hindsight, after you've watched it, um, you realize that this match was so much more about competition as opposed to uh, violence or hatred between them. And that kind of leads on to the, to the, to the angle at the end. Um, yeah, that, that, that's the big difference between what's happening here. Uh, they then start a stiff chop and slap exchange with one another. Uh, from here, Kawada blocks a Tawei face crusher. Tawei blocks a Kawada spitting kick. Uh, Tawei eats a kick but blocks a second one and hits Kawada with a great-looking folding power bomb. Um, one thing I, I, I noticed about uh, this sequence here, Brian, is that you know, like they're blocking each other's like kind of like you know signature moves, and mm-hmm. it goes towards the story that these guys know each other so well after you know being on opposite ends of like you know the the super generation army Saruta gun feud and and in their own singles matches that you know they they can kind of anticipate one of those moves yeah i think that's right and um you can also see by the kind of moves that they they are going for i mentioned the power bombs earlier both guys are trying that both guys are trying uh different versions of the sleeper hold so they're it's almost as if they have more in common than they previously realized and the story of the match again especially with hindsight is to kind of show that these guys could be an unstoppable force if they ever got together uh Tawei then goes like you said for a sleeper on Kawada which elicits Kawada chants from the fans mm-hmm. they're they're really getting behind Kawada now because they feel like he's he's kind of like looking like he's gonna he's gonna lose his match to Tawei uh from here it's now a war of strikes between these two with both men countering some of their big nurture signature strikes um and uh you know like and I said this goes to the point again like they know each other so well uh Kawada hits one of his signature power bombs but Tawei gets out a very close two count uh Kawada then applies his own sleeper on Tawei and the fans like the fans are going nuts at this point Brian they're well into it they just know oh my god we're we're hitting the crescendo crescendo of this match and and it's like yes yeah they're getting you know like they're really really you know anticipating something's exciting going to happen throughout the the course of the match from this point on yeah and maybe you can tell me a bit more about what the the actual commentary says on the the japanese tv uh, tv version because i wonder how much that sort of wraps it up as well i mean you can tell by uh the matter in which things are are being spoken across there but is there anything in the actual language of what they're saying that, that really builds this up 
not not that I could notice. Like I, I to be honest, like my my Japanese listening skills are okay, but mm. um, I, I I tend to think of most commentary as just background, especially Japanese commentary is just <laughs> yeah. like it's just more background noise for me. But like I catch a word here and there. I think they're just getting into the story of it. I think Baba. One thing about having Baba on commentary, it's very similar to like like when Vince McMahon was the you know the the play by play guy. Uh, on WWF television is that he knows all the storylines so he could talk about what's happening in each match very clearly because he's he, he's the one who laid it out so Baba when having him on commentary like he's more of a color commentator he's not the play-by-play guy mm-hmm. but the thing with Baba is that he can embellish a lot of what is happening in the ring because obviously he booked it he knows what's going to happen afterwards he knows what's going to happen two weeks from now he knows what's going to happen two months from now so you know, like the, the, the announcers will, the play-by-play guy will ask Baba, like, oh, what do you think about this? What's happening right now? And Baba will give his opinion. But what he's actually doing is telling the fans, this is the story I, I want mm-hmm. you to know about. So that's really the benefit of having Baba on commentary. And and also, like, it's so soothing to hear Giant Baba's voice. I, <laughs> I, I love hearing his very, you know, deep, deep, sort you know, of warble- voice. he's like one of the the adults from like the the you know the the peanuts cartoons the charlie brown cartoons for sure but but it's it's soothing i i i rather enjoy hearing his voice so uh, if if it's the first time you ever hear his voice it it can be a little jarring but you get used to it very quickly yeah once Um, once once you know it's baba then it's okay it makes a bit more sense now and then you get to see what Baba looks like. It's like, oh, yeah, it fits perfectly mm-hmm. with his voice. But uh, from here, uh, Kawada goes on the offensive with his kicks. But uh, Tawai blocks uh, one of the kicks and goes for a clothesline. But Kawada catches the arm and starts spinning Tawai to get him to the ground. But, you know, it's amazing. Tawai uses the momentum of, like, you know, Kawada taking him to the ground to land in an awkward-looking but very effective kick to Kawada's back. Like, it's pretty stiff as well. Yeah, um, I you, you've actually made a note of that where I where I didn't. I'm not working off too many notes here, but yeah, I mean, Tawai could ha- could have his moments as well. So uh, that that's no surprise that that's happened. And again, that's sort of building up to the fact that uh, you know Tawai can really go. He can get really stiff and strong uh, with his strikes uh, when he wants to. Uh, maybe there's more to um, this sort of uh, partnership across the ring, their chemistry than than previously met the eye. Uh, Kawada blocks a choke slam and turns it into a Fujiwara armbar. Uh, Tawai kicks out of a stiff Kawada lariat, and the crowd just comes alive with dueling Kawada and Tawai chants. So, like the crowd are now just like into both these guys. They mm-hmm. they they just want to see someone win. They, I think they'd be okay with either or. Uh, Tawa, Kawada kicks out of the Nodo Otoshi, and again the crowd just comes unglued at the two count. So again, this this move is like. You know, it's protected. It's it's one of you know Taiwei's signature moves. And you know when you when you have like someone kick out of a move, whether it's you know, and it's it's usually going to be like either Kawada Masawa or Kobashi, not not one of like you know Nakakuchi, not Ogawa, not who one of the younger undercard guys. But it it's still a special thing to see when like one of the when the finishing maneuvers gets kicked out of yes uh, it, it doesn't feel like this is a part of the match where they're oh we're going to do our kickouts now or we're going to do our false finishes now it, and that that speaks to the whole of this match but it also speaks to to what all japan was trying to create you know was that sort of sense of competition a little bit of sports as well and these were just the happenings like this this was not two guys who were going out there trying to have a great match 
these were two guys going out there to try and convince people to a certain extent, to try and win to a certain extent. And uh, the quality of the match is like a consequence of, of their greatness. Well, also, you got to keep in mind, this is a Champions Carvel match. So, yeah. you know, like it's not a 60 minute time limit. It's a 30 minute time limit. So they 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 have less time to to win the match. And, you know, people are thinking less time. What? It's like, well, you got to keep in mind, like a lot of times, like, you know, all Japan made events are like, you know, over 30 minutes, mm -hmm. like. Sometimes they're going to hit like the 40 minute range, especially title matches. So to have a singles match between two of the, the you know, like top tier wrestlers in the company, like, OK, they have less time to finish each other. So one of the I think one of the stories that I think we can extrapolate, you know, from, you know, watching this match is that they kind of want to finish each other as soon as possible. They don't want to have an extended, you know. Um, you know, sequence of like trying to hit each other with as many bombs as possible. They just want to kind of like, you know, where where they're each other down and to the point where like i want to get this win i want to get the points to, to move on in the carnival mm -hmm. yeah and you see that at a certain point in the match where the bombs start coming out and then the counters start occurring and uh um the the sort of nip and tuck of the thing and just trying to get a small advantage that doesn't play it into it anymore they're going for the big ones yeah i mean like you know this is like the point where you know we're getting all these Two fall, two counts and near falls, and the fans are just eating it up. Uh, both men are just throwing whatever they can at each other to, to try to win the match. Uh, Tawe hits an impressive for him missile dropkick from the top row for yeah. a two count on, on, on Kawada here. Uh, to Kawada gets on the stretch plum, and the crowd is going crazy, especially, you know. Again, this is like, you know, a signature submission move from, from Kawada, but, you know, Tawe is able to reach the ropes and the match is still continuing. And the crowd is like, oh my God, he's, we're, we're still, we're still getting this match. This, this awesome match is still going on. Mm -hmm. You know, Kawada hits a Tenru like top rope elbow for a two count. And this is, again, like, this is, you know, kind of like, you know, the influence of Tenru on Kawada is like, this is the exact same kind of, elbow, you know, top rope elbow that the Kawada, that Tenru does. Like, he just climbs the top rope and instead of like, doesn't do it macho man style he just kind of like you know he's facing uh towards the outside of the ring and then yeah. he drops backwards to do the elbow and this is the same thing that that kawada does this is a move from you know from from the rival of jumbo Saruta, who you know so kawada is facing the, the you know the last kind of apprentice of of jumbo so it's kind of appropriate that he's using these these tenru moves on him yeah totally i just want to go back and just make his uh further mention of a uh Tawi's missile drop kick. It is just brilliant. It is a jump off the seat moment to see that guy go up there and hit this huge drop kick and take a funny landing. So um, yeah, uh, like if you're looking for big moves throughout the uh, throughout the match, that's the one that gets you off your seat the most. Oh, definitely. Like you know, anytime Tawi goes to the top rope, you think, oh my god, don't do it. You're just gonna fall off because you're so awkward <laughs> yeah. looking. But but to his credit, he he it doesn't really. You know, he's able to hit a lot of these, you yeah. know, rare. He, he like, always, you know, he always finds, he always finds a way. Um, it, it may look awkward, uh, or it may look strained, but he always finds a way and it always looks like it has a pretty decent impact. This one sure did. So, you know, Brian, at this point, we got to talk about someone not inside the ring, but someone outside the ring. And that is one Masanobu Fuchi. Mm -hmm. And in the, the handheld version, like it's not clear exactly what he's doing but if you watch the, the clip version it's very clear what he's doing at this point so you'll see masafuchi looking at the ring and then looking at the timekeeper and what he's doing is that he's 
he's anticipating the the bell being counted because every time Tawei goes for you know a, a pinfall on on Kawada, he's counting along with the ref one two, and then he's going to look at the timekeeper to like he wants to hear that bell ring. He wants to see the the timekeeper hit the bell to signal the end of the match for for Tawei. And every time it doesn't happen, he's like. He has his exasperated look of frustration. Oh my God, Tawai can't can't be Kawada. And it's just, I just think it's amazing. Like he is such a brilliant man. And we don't talk about Masafuchi enough, but this guy is so brilliant. He understands, like he's not in the match itself, but he's part of the match. He's part of getting the fans emotionally invested in the match by what he's doing on the outside without detracting from the match. It's it's amazing. Yeah, he's a very big part of the match and the angle when it when it comes down to this. And yeah, if if, uh, if you haven't yet talked about uh, Fuji too much in this series, and hopefully, will someone will do that down the line because Fuji is an incredible wrestler. Even uh, in this, he appears in sort of this veteran status even more so than say Jumbo or or whomever at this early nineties point. This man is a sadist inside the ring. Anytime you see him with uh, Kikuchi, you know, he's very happy to, you know, bend Kikuchi over backwards over the ropes or, you know, stand on his neck and things like that. Just just cruel things that this man would perpetrate. Fuji's brilliant to watch. Oh yeah. And and as again, like he's not a manager, but he's kind of like a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. He's like he's, he's a second being Tawe. Yeah. He's a second and and it's 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 quite like like I said, it's just like I just I just love watching this man in any capacity. He's involved in pro wrestling, mm-hmm. especially at, at this point in time. Uh, Tawei escapes numerous stretched plum attempts from Kawada as the timekeeper starts announcing that the time limit is quickly approaching. Uh, you can sense the tension in the crowd is just ratcheting up here, Brian, and like they're like, "Oh my God, what's going to happen?" Like I think there's as much drama as if if you think you're going to be getting a time limit draws as you are if like one of the guys is going to win. Yeah. It just, it's about knowing what the result is going to be. And I guess in some ways there's some hope that, um, you know, there may be a conclusion, uh, like a pinfall or a submission or something like that. And whether it can happen in those final sort of 15 seconds, 20 seconds, um, especially if you're, you're partisan and you, you want one of the wrestlers to win more than the other. Um, but it's, um, when, when a match is this good, just finding out the conclusion to what's going to happen is kind of almost it's it's almost like a sporting event you know you just want to know what's going to happen is it going to be a draw well, uh, how many points will these people get on the board is it possible that a miracle could happen in the last 5 seconds oh yeah i mean but you know a miracle actually doesn't happen because from this point in my <laughs> but notes but that's okay uh, it's okay. Kawada goes for his final powerbomb, and it's pretty much at the one-minute mark, and uh, that's announced by the timekeeper. And as soon as, like, you know, Tawei's, you know, shoulders hit the ground, like, Kawada goes for a pin. Kiwawada goes for the count. He hits one, and then the, the timekeeper bell announces, and then this match is over. It has reached the 30-minute time limit, and it's a draw for, for both these guys. The the post-match sequences, like, both guys getting up, they're being attended to by their seconds. Tawei by Fuchi, um, Kawada by Kikuchi, and you know, like they draw, you know, Kiwawada draws both of them into the center of the ring. He raises both their hands up in the air, and from this point, um, Kawada, he's the one. He extends his hand to to Tawei for mm-hmm. a handshake, and and Tawei accepts. And the fans are gasping. They're like, oh, "What's happening here? Yeah. What? I." I've never seen these. These guys hate each other. They mm-hmm. they've had bloodbaths with one another. So this is a monumentous 
you know, occurrence. Like this is a very big moment for for the All Japan fans. And in in retrospect, obviously, this is the start of the Holy Demon Army. Um, and let let's talk about the post match, let your impressions of it, and then let's talk about the kind of the legacy of the Holy Demon Army. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really interesting. When Kawada is able to get to his feet after the match, you immediately can see that there's sort of something on his mind, and uh, you can you can take that to be as part of the story, or maybe he's maybe he for for real is thinking he knows what's going to happen next. Um, but there's like something on it. There's something on his mind. He's uh, he's not happy about uh, the draw, or uh, but he's also not that hugely disappointed. There's there's something else going on in there, and he's kind of thinking about it. And eventually, whenever the two guys come together to um, to have the uh, decision explained by the referee, then Kawada's kind of looking at Taui, and he's almost looking to to get that eye contact from Taui. And when he eventually does, there's a it's not, it's certainly not like a mega powers handshake, you know, Hogan and Savage doing the big the dramatic handshake. It's a very, it's almost like a clasping of the hand kind of handshake, just a, a small amount of respect just to, to, to see where that will lead. Kawada almost leans in to give him a pat on the back, but then does not do that. It's, um, there's all these sort of subtle little things going on that you can take different things from, but you can just see where, Kawada has had this great match with this guy, has been uh, since he's been battling him for so many years. But now he realizes that this guy is sort of the real deal. The Kawada has had many victories in tag matches and singles matches over over Tawe, but um, he sees something at this point. Whether it's the fact that um, he uh, Kawada, along with Mizawa, recently lost the tag team titles, I think at, at, at the end of the previous year. Uh, maybe he sees that the grass could be greener on the other side. Maybe he sees that he wants to be aligned with Tawe, um, more so than he does want to be sort of second or third in Mizawa's group. Um, but whatever it is, there's something on his mind. If you go back and watch it, you'll see it pretty clearly. Um, and they do this sort of half, halfway handshake just to, to, to see what the other's thinking about it. Like I say, Kawada almost gives him a pat on the back, but thinks better of it. And, um, there's questions after this great match that I guess if you want to call it a cliffhanger, you could. Well, I mean, like, you know, one thing like I noticed, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but like on Kikuchi's face, he's like thinking, what happened there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, shook, he shook his hand. He's still our enemy. He's still on the other side. And and in, in terms of like, you know, like we're talking about, you know, Brian, like there's, you know, Jumbo's winding down he's 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 getting he's phasing out masawa is now the ace of the company um so like kawada like both in kayfabe terms and in real life you know realizes oh my god there's an opportunity for me to to you know raise myself in the ranks of this company where i'm not masawa's number two but i could be like the you know the one b to his one a right Mm -hmm. and you know like so but i to do that i have to break away from Misawa and you know like one thing that is very important in all Japan is to have a tag team you have to be part of a tag team as well as be a great singles wrestler like all the great you know wrestlers of all Japan for wrestling were part of great tag teams as well as being great singles wrestlers Misawa with Kawada Kobashi uh, Akiyama and Ogawa throughout his tenure in all Japan for wrestling Kobashi with Misawa with Kikuchi Misawa um, and Akiyama and then you know Kawada with both Misawa and with Tawe. Um, so like at this point, he's like, okay, he sees, I have to be on the opposite side of Masawa. And this guy, 
you know, has gone to war with me and Kobashi Misawa. He's the guy I need to be my ally in this. And, you know, and they form the Holy Demon Army. Let's, let's, and then we're not going to get too deep into the Holy Demon Army. But, Brian, what are your what are your thoughts about this legendary tag team? I think it's the greatest tag team in all Japan history. I think it's definitely like in the top five of the greatest tag teams of, of all of professional wrestling. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I can't imagine any other tag teams having sort of more five-star matches um, across any period. Um, I hate to bring up star ratings, but it's, it's the easiest way for us to, to, to qualify these things. Um, like there was matches um the main one that people think of when they think of the holy demon arm is 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 seemingly dozens of matches uh against Mizawa and Kobashi. It's not that it's not that many, of course, but there's Tag League finals. The tag the Tag League final of that year, in fact, ninety three is Mizawa and Kobashi uh beating Kawada and Tawe for um that's a that's a title change as well. But there's matches and there's matches every year. There's the famous match, um, six nine ninety five, as people like to call it, uh, 9th of June nineteen ninety five. One of the greatest matches of all time, singles or tag. That's another title change. Um, just uh, an incredible match that everybody has to see. And once the Mizawa and Kobashi, once they sort of split, and Mizawa begins to team with Akiyama, the feud just sort of continues. Again, great match. I think they, they've at least two or three great matches in 1996 alone. So, um, and, and including a tag league final, which is another classic. So yeah, just incredible matches all the way through, through uh, with all different kinds of opponents. But people will always look to the, the tag matches with either Mizawa and Kobashi or Mizawa and Akiyama. Well, one thing I like about, you know, the Holy Demon Army is that, you know, they're they're very different. Kawada and Tawi, like mm-hmm. the way they wrestle. And, but they, they complement each other through those differences really well like stylistically they do things they do a lot of like actual really impressive double teaming yeah. moves against against their opponents but they're also very unique like Kawada is more kind of you know like a striker kind of does a more kind of MMA kind of style like you know for for a guy from all Japan of the 90s mm-hmm. he's not like Shinya Hashimoto or anything like that but he, he does a lot of the, the you know the, the kicks that are based around martial arts and and things like that whereas, whereas Tao is very very much a, a pro wrestler uh, there was actually one thing I wanted to bring up, and forgive me for for going backwards a little bit, but uh, in in terms of this sort of storyline, uh, we have this match, of course, uh, on the twelfth of April. We've just talked about uh, where Kawada and Tawei do shake hands, and it's interesting. A couple of weeks later on TV, um, Kawada actually teams. He still teams with Kobashi and Kukuchi. Kawada and Tawei are rarely in there together um, against each other. When they are, um, you can see that they're both thinking it over as to, I guess, what they should do, but, um, you know, how much they want to really battle this other person that they've got so much respect for and perhaps um, someone who they who they recognize should be working together as a team. So there is that one match on TV that they have where Kawada is still with Super Generation Army. And then it's like another couple of weeks after that, Kawada really has gone to the other side, so to speak. He has a singles match with Kikuchi that he wins. And then he make, he, he debuts the Holy Demon Army team with Tawei uh, in the middle of May. I think that's like Korokin and I think their first match is against Kobashi and Kikuchi. And it, yes. it, that's an amazing match. <laughs> yes. Itself. It's like, I recommend fans watch like the, the six men that you're talking about. 
following this match and then watch you know the the May match with Kawada and, and Tawai teaming really for the first time ever in Corican Hall against the team of Kobashi because you, you can tell like Kobashi especially is yeah pissed. he's <laughs> mad that Kawada has left Super Generation Army and is teaming with Tawai at this point it's fantastic it, it's really a prelude to like the battles that Kawada and Tawai will have with you know Kobashi and, and and a multitude of different partners that he'll have whether it's it's Misawa or whether it's Johnny Ace or or later on in the the late nineties with Junakiyama, um, is is just the, the dynamic with Kobashi against Kawada and Tawei, but Kawada especially is 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 a lot more, it, not more interesting, but it's it's very different from the dynamic between Masawa and Kawada. Just sorry, repeat that for me again. I, I didn't quite catch you. Oh, sorry. Like I always think that it's really interesting the dynamic between Kobashi and Kawada mm-hmm. is is different but it's it's no less interesting than the dynamic between kawada and misawa as okay. opponents yeah well obviously you know kawada and misawa sort of have that that sort of backstory about being in the same like high school and things like that that the, the kobashi and kawada don't have but yeah i think equally in the ring the uh, kawada and kobashi have almost as good if not just as good chemistry is it uh i hope i'm not wrong here is, is it kawada's first uh, defense of the Triple Crown, where he wrestles Kobashi to to a draw, and I think it's a sixty minute draw, which is a classic match. I hope I've got that right. But um, uh, you know, so they they definitely had chemistry. They could have long matches where they work together really well. Um, and uh, yeah, the chemistry the chemistry is excellent. Um, Mizawa and Kawada to me is on another plane, I guess, to to some degree, just because of the backstory and everything, and also that that's part of my fandom. Uh, my early fandom of, of capture of uh, sort of uh, enjoying all Japan. I know some people will look at the matches between Mizawa and Kobashi and say that they are the peak of nineties all Japan. But I have to say that Mizawa and Kawada is where it's at for me. Oh, like I think you know the story of all Japan pro wrestling of this era. You know, like there's there's three things that you have to look at. It's like the the rivalry between Mizawa and and um, Jumbo Saruta. Mm-hmm. The you know the the, the 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 kind of like the the rise of Kenna Kobashi in the the mid to late 90s and the you know and the rivalry really of like from this point from 93 on to the to like even in pro wrestling Noah like the rivalry between Masawa and Kawada and you know you could argue which one is the most important I I would agree with you I think that the rivalry between Masawa and Kawada is the most important thing and you know like from this match the formation of the Holy Demon Army is a very very integral part Mm -hmm. of that rivalry as much as any of their their singles matches against each other whether it's in the Champions Carnival or for the, the Triple Crown title so yeah I mean that's that's it that's that's the match and and Brian you know Thank you so much for for joining me and taking the time out of your schedule to to talk about this match, talk about both these guys and about this great tag team. Uh, it was my pleasure to watch All Japan, talk about All Japan, anything All Japan. I love this period. It's my favorite period of uh, any pro wrestling, even beyond uh, you know my sort of early WWF nostalgia from when I was a child. This this is the great wrestling that I can still watch that I'm still discovering actually because new footage seems to appear kind of all the time and uh you get to you get to see these things. 
um, that previously you hadn't seen before, or you get to see full versions. It's only um, a couple of years ago that we got the full version of, you know, Furnace and Crawford against Kikuchi and Kobashi from 92. So we're always uh, sort of discovering these little things and it's, uh, it's great in the fandom when you get to do that. You know, with all these streaming services out there, Brian, like, I, I really think, you know, Nippon TV could make a lot of money. I, I feel. They could make a lot of money off me, that's for sure. They, if they just had a streaming service, covering, yeah. like, like say 1985 to, to nine to 2000 Oof. of all Japan for wrestling, like, and just started releasing things every month, like maybe chronological order. That would be cool. I, I, I know at least like a hundred people who would sign up for this for like, if it was like 10, $15, I would, I would totally sign up for it. Yeah. Can you imagine if like, if, uh, this stuff was, uh, you know, scanned in 1080p or something like that, you know? Uh, whenever I was first starting collecting, uh, or sorry, uh, getting tapes from all Japan from tape traders, you know, the quality sometimes left a lot to be desired. I should have mentioned this at the start. Here's a great piece of trivia. Um, what do you think? Just have a wild guess about what the first all Japan match I ever saw was. The, the tape I would have got would have been in around 93. You'll have to go a couple of years before that. Just take a wild guess. You couldn't possibly get it. Uh, okay. So I'm going to think just, you know, like it's an, I'll give you, I'll give you the year. It was 89. The, the match, the, the first match from all Japan I ever saw was from 1989. Was it like Bruiser Brody versus Abdul the Butcher or something? <laughs> Dan Spivey against Sting. So, <laughs> from 1989. I've seen that match. Too. Yeah, it's okay. It's, 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 it's pretty good for what it is. So a very strange debut to all Japan in some regard because, you know, two American guys and, you know, Sting making one of for a very, very few appearances for all Japan as opposed to New Japan. But uh, at least that, um, that didn't put me off at the start. And, uh, I got, uh, completely into all Japan and have, have been into it for all this time since that the first time I got a tape, um, I should give a shout out to my good friend Neil Topping, who who actually lent me the tape at the time. He he was the first to get into the tape traders, uh, and to to get their lists. So he actually got a tape first and and lent me Japanese Action Four and Five, and uh, that sent me on my merry way. That's amazing. The name of that compilation, Japanese Action Four and Five, incredible. Um, Brian, let's let's get some plugs in. Tell people where they can find more of your work. Uh, well, probably the best way to connect with me is on Twitter at hardcopy.ie. That's hardcopy, D-O-T-I-E. Um, there's also my website, which is hardcopy.ie, funnily enough. And uh, there's, there's, I've got a few uh, little things up there. Business has kind of got in the way. Work has kind of got in the way recently, but I've done some wrestling podcasts up there. The podcast is called Riffing on Wrestling. I'm a huge fan of classic rock. So there's a podcast uh, that I run called Rock Rules. Um, you can search for any of those things. I also do a podcast on Manchester United um, football team um, with uh, Killian Dane of WWE fame. So that's one that's, it's been a little bit on the back burner just recently, just because of, uh, uh, of work and everything, but these are three things that I'm kind of into and doing at the minute. I'm actually looking for sort of the next level to take these to, whether it to be to find a, a new home for these podcasts or to even develop a Patreon or something like that. So, uh, we'll see how that goes in, in the near future. But if you follow me on Twitter at hardcopy.ie, you'll get all the updates. Well, I'm definitely going to be following your, your website a lot more closely, uh, these days. I, I was, perusing through it and i thought oh this there's some really great stuff it was it was great talking with you and uh i hope to have you back on a, a future episode of uh the long and winding royal road down the line uh as as you know i i, I get, there's a lot of people who want to talk about all japan but like 
you know, like I, I feel at some point this show can go on forever. At some point, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to have like repeat guests and I definitely <laughs> would like you to be a repeat guest on this, Brian. Uh, it would be my pleasure. I would love to talk about all Japan anytime. All right. And uh, thank you to all the fans for uh, the listeners for listening, tuning in and, and, and showing a lot of support for the show, uh, getting a lot of great feedback to the the episodes. And, uh, you know, for those of you like, you know, we're going to be releasing this. Uh, this is being released in December, so it's almost Christmas season. So those of you who want to support the show, get the uh, the post ProRes T-shirt at uh, store.proswrestling.com. And uh, on behalf of Brian, I want to thank everyone for tuning in and I'll see everyone on the next episode. And until then. Goodbye.